This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the evening worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for February 11th, 2024. The title of the message is, Enter His Courts with Praise. Well, if you would open your Bibles with me tonight to Psalm 100, uh, we're going through select psalms, kind of uh, just looking at them, uh, looking at particular psalms, um, not in any particular order or any particular theme, uh, but just kind of, just because I, I love preaching through the psalms and and it's a nice kind of break between uh, larger studies. So if you would turn with me to Psalm 100. One of my favorite psalms, and hopefully one of yours. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, may it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, as we hear by faith, Lord, help us to actively listen. Lord, would you send us your Holy Spirit to engage our hearts as we listen and comprehend as an act of worship so that we might truly understand it and believe it, and not just only not only believing it, but applying it to our lives. And so we ask these things, uh, and would you be with me, your servant, uh, that as I read it and preach it, may it be pleasing in your sight, may it be a blessing to your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear now then the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 1. A psalm of giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I want us to look this evening at one of the, the model psalms uh, of praise, that when, when interpreters and preachers and uh, uh, teachers of the Bible break up the psalms into different genres— when it, one of those genres, the core genres being psalms of praise, Psalm 100 is probably the psalm of praise par excellence. Uh, it's, there's a reason why in our hymnals, uh, the metrical version, the, the song version of Psalm 100 is number one. And, uh, and the tune is so well recognized uh, that they just simply call it Old Hundredth. And uh, normally we would have sung it, but I wanted to preach from it, and I just f felt like it would be a little repetitive if we sang it, read it, and then I preach from it. You know, it's like hundred, hundred, hundred. Like so, um, there's other, there are other hymns that are are written based on it, and so I, I thought we could choose one of those. But uh, I want us to look at why it is the psalm of praise par excellence, that it really gives a well-considered, well-thought-out, complete understanding of what it means to praise God, the, the underlying theology 
of what praise is and, and why we praise God. And so I want us to, to uh, look at that this evening as we look at four aspects of what, of four aspects of praise uh, and the theology of praise. So first, Psalm 100 teaches us how to praise God by expressing our joy with all of our being. Look at verse 1 and 2. The psalmist gives us three ways to praise God. Right? First, we praise, we express our praise with our mouths. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. The word that the psalmist uses for making a joyful noise is the same word used in Scripture and throughout the ancient Near East to shout to 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 describe shouts of adulation. Um, you know, when when the victory over uh, Nazi Germany was declared, uh, apparently. When it was announced, everyone would just simply shout. Some people would shout hallelujah. Some people would just scream. Some people would, you know, uh, whatever, uh, whatever came to their minds, they shouted for joy. And that's the joyful noise that the psalmist is referring to. Uh, and, and I do think also, you know, I think the kind of, fun way that we think about joyful noise is uh, sometimes some of us sing off key and some sometimes you know our our we don't hit the notes quite you know well sometimes our we're tone deaf and so we just sing our hearts out and uh, it's a joyful noise because we it's from our hearts and we may not be able to sing the right notes but but the lord sees our hearts uh, and we may notice the, the, the off-key, but the Lord hears beautiful music, a beautiful song. And it's the shout also, a shout of adulation that uh, is used whenever a king announces victory over his foes, or when a new king is crowned, or a conquering general parades through through his through, through the capital to declare that victory, um, and uh, and so, you know, one example that comes to my mind was when you see old videos or old old films of when Queen Elizabeth was was coronated, you know, after the death of her father. Uh, as well as more recently, King Charles, and uh, and, I get, and we should pray for him as well with his cancer diagnosis. But uh, you know, maybe one day soon, uh, or in the near future, we'll be crowning another king, and there'll be some similar shouts of adulation. Just you know, it, it's you know, just you're just thinking about the the uh, square in front of Buckingham Palace, just fill, see uh, a sea of people going all the way down the street, down that road, and just thousands and thousands of people just shouting, long live the king, or God save the king. And that's the joyful noise uh, that the psalmist is describing. We also express praise, not only with our lips, but with our lives, by serving the Lord 
with gladness. It's not just enough to, to speak praise, but to, to act out our praise by service, right? A servant honors his or her Lord by serving them, uh, not, only, not only out of duty, and that's, that's, that's um, uh, not the worst motivation, but out of delight, out of gladness, out of joy, because they love their master, they love their king. Um, and so they serve, serve the Lord, they serve him with joy and not begrudgingly. And we don't just uh, say good things about him uh, merely with our lips, but with our hearts as an effulgence of what is in our hearts, right? Jesus said, out of the abundance of our hearts, our mouths speak. And I, sometimes I think, I wonder if Jesus gets that whole theology and that whole, ideal, that whole idea from the Psalms. Because whenever you see uh, acts of praise and of attribution and ascription to God of who he is, it's always coupled with an emotional uh, description that comes from the heart. With gladness, with joy, with praise, with thanksgiving, right? Uh, with fear, right? With uh, adoration. And not just simply serve the Lord. And then that's all, right? It's always with gladness. And so everything we do uh, as an act is also a form of speech, right? a performative speech. Some of, some of our uh, more recent um, philosophers of language and linguistics that that uh, that speech is is an act, uh, and so the Lord, so the psalmist is showing us that we speak also with our actions, with our deeds. We also express our praise with our hearts, and and this now we're going down, right? You can even just think of it as. From our hands, from the mouth to hands, down deep into the heart. And he says, come into his presence with singing. And, uh, and this is the idea that when we truly worship the Lord by faith, when we sing his praises and serve him with gladness, then we are coming near to him with our hearts. See, it's, see how it, when the psalmist says, come into his presence, it's not merely a physical act. He's saying, draw near. I think this is where, where uh, the New Testament writers get that language of drawing near. To, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Right? I mean, is God a physical person that we can draw near? No, he's, he's saying, if you draw near to him by faith in our hearts, then you draw near to him. And he, draw near, he draws near to you. And so that's the, that's the underlying thought here in this language of come into his presence with singing. And, and then by contrast, Jesus highlights what hypocrisy is as the opposite of coming to his presence, right, with your hearts. Uh, Matthew 15, 7, when Jesus is... is uh, confronting the Pharisees, he calls them hypocrites. He said, you hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but what? Their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines 
the commandments of men. You see, God desires us to draw near with, with a sincere heart of worship. Or else, you know, if we don't draw near to him with our hearts, then it's just empty praise. So, um, and, and I think, uh, the, just imagine and picture for me, picture with me, the, the pilgrims who are going towards the temple, right? Whether it be one of the festival days, right? Uh, Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah, um, you know, the Feast of Booths, uh, the, whatever festival it was, they would go towards the temple and they would sing on their way up to the temple and enter, into entering the temple. And the, the act of drawing near to the earthly presence of God was also meant to, to encourage them to draw near with their hearts. And so maybe I want to encourage all of you, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you step out of bed, you are making that pilgrimage, right? I mean, this is just a church, but it's representative, it's illustrative of coming into, right? Every step towards the corporate worship of God is a step towards the presence of God in spirit. And so when you park and you're making your way and you come through those doors and you enter in the sanctuary, I hope it's not just an outward act of something you just do on Sunday. This is something that you do. You just dress up and you come to church, you open your hymnals, you sing, you open the word, you just listen. Uh, but that you would also enter into his presence with, by faith with your heart. That is even, I think that is even more important uh, than just the act of getting up and coming. You can come, but if your heart isn't coming into the presence of God, you might as well just not come. Because uh, we don't want you to be a hypocrite, right? You worship me in, in vain, but your hearts are far from me. So I just wanted to encourage you to, to, to be as intentional about entering into his presence with your heart. As much as, if not more, than simply your, the, uh, your bodily presence you know, before God by faith. Uh, let's move on to the second uh, aspect of praise. We not only learn uh, what praise is, but who we are called to praise. What is it about God that makes him so praiseworthy? Uh, why should we praise him? The psalmist uh, tells us then, beginning in verse 3, he says, no that the Lord, he is God. Right, look at that. Whoever said that doctrine is not important never read these words of the Old Testament. Uh, doctrine, and this is probably one of the most straightforward uh, uh, statements of doctrine, right? You need to know that the Lord is God. More than, That is the most foundational truth you will ever learn. And it is the beginning of praise. The doctrine is always for the purpose of doxology. I hope you will, this will be, a, I hope this will be an axiom and a mantra for you. Doc, doc, doctrine is for doxology. 
that everything you learn, the truth, is to lead you into worship. And so how can we praise the Lord if we don't know who he really is, right? And so we praise him then for who he is. And so worship is simply telling the truth of who God really is and what he means to us. Know that the Lord, he is God. And so worship begins with a sense and an understanding, not only intellectually, but into our hearts, into the whole fiber of our being, that, that we come into the presence of God because he is God. And to worship him is to have a sense of his worth. And that's really what worship, worship means, right? The old, it's the old English word uh, from which came worth-ship, ascribing the worth of who we worship, and so what we're doing here is we're, we're understanding the worth of who God is, and we are praising him for it. And so we praise the Lord as our creator. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 3 there. It is he who made us. You can even hear the, the emphatic aspect of it, right? It's he who made us. This is what makes him God. He made us. And we are his. Oh, what's interesting too, in, in our old King James Bibles, I wish I could have done more work here, but there's another translation where it says, it is he who made us and we not ourselves. Uh, and I think maybe, you know, they're both saying the same thing. Uh, and this is what makes God, God and makes who we are creatures. And so there's a sense of our creatureliness that needs to be brought to, brought to bear when we worship the Lord. And not only did, um, uh, are we his, but maybe another way to think about too is that this is our most fundamental identity in relationship to God, that we are his creatures made in his image. He is our creator and we belong to him, right? And this is the axiom that we see throughout scripture that he who made us owns us. And so we owe him our allegiance, our loyalty, our worship, our praise. We also praise him as our redeemer, not only as our creator, but as our redeemer. Look at what he goes on to say. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He, and, and this is kind of the Old Testament theme of God as our great shepherd, that he made us his people and, make, and he made us his sheep, that we are his treasured possession. Uh, he sent his one and only son to lay down his life for us so that we might be his sheep, right? This is why Jesus came as the great shepherd. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Uh, the sheep uh, hear my voice and they follow me, right? And so he saved us to be his sheep. And this is the story of all of our praise. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And no one and nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of our great shepherd. Thirdly, we also learn about where we, about not only what 
and how or why, but where we praise the Lord as we enter into his heavenly courts. Look at verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Now, in the original context, the psalmist is probably referring to uh, temple worship, when God's people would enter into the temple grounds with songs of praise, going closer and closer into the holies and then the holy of holies. I mean, not, not everybody would enter the holy of holies, but the priests and then ultimately the the great high priest. As the earthly temple of God's presence, the psalmist is calling the people to come to the temple with singing and to enter into his courts. And what's interesting here is in the Old Testament, the people couldn't do that. They could only enter into one court, but not into the inner courts. And so there's, there's a sense in which there's a barrier uh, for this psalm, that there's something like they, they're like, enter into his courts with praise and they can only enter into the outer court or the, the, the court where, where, the, where the non-priests could enter. And so it, it, there's a sense in which there's a yearning to go further into the courts. And the promise then of truly in, entering into the, all, to the deepest court of the temple points us to the new and living way that Jesus opens for us in which through faith in Christ, through the new and living way, through the mercy and merits of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the priesthood of all believers, we can enter into the very holy of holies before the throne room of God and, and sing with praise and with thanksgiving. Uh, what a wonderful truth that is, far greater than the old covenant saints could ever have enjoyed, that we enjoy through faith in Jesus Christ, through our union with Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, that we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ, that uh, in Christ we stand in Christ who sits at God's very right hand. And we can go into his presence with thanksgiving and praise. Friends, brothers, and sisters, not only can we enter into his courts with praise, but we can enter his courts with prayer, with intercession, with our, our, our needs. Uh, and in many ways, and here's the beauty of, of the Psalms, is that the Psalms are prayer, the prayers of God's people set to, to, to song, metric prayers. And so I think that the, uh, the historical identity between prayer and praise comes together when we praise as prayer. So whenever we sing uh, songs uh, in, in service or whenever we sing hymns or psalms or spiritual songs in any context, we are literally entering into, by faith, the, 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 the Holy of Holies and singing and praising and offering our prayers to God as an act of worship. And that will change us. That will transform us. It will encourage us. It will um, melt our anxieties. It will 
lift up our discouraged hearts. Um, It will strengthen us when we feel weak. So I want to offer that to you, friends, brothers, and sisters, that whenever you feel weak and needy, whenever you feel sad and lonely, whenever you're struggling with a sin or struggling with circumstances, or you, um, you're you at a crossroads and you don't know what to do, um, praise the Lord with prayer. Sing to him as an act of worship. And, and I, th- I think, and this has been my experience, and I hope it will be your experience, that when you stand in the presence of God, whatever struggles you are encountering uh, will, will become so much smaller in light of the greatness of who God is. That if you can stand before God confidently in praise, then you can stand before your, your greatest enemies through the darkest of circumstances and you will not be afraid because God is with you. And then lastly, we look at, at uh, what praise is and who we are to praise and where we are to praise, and it leads us to why we praise, uh, uh, the very essence of what praise is, uh, because of his everlasting grace and goodness. If we praise God because he is God, then we must also praise him because he is good. Look at verse 5. Here he gives us the foundation of, for which we praise God for, right? All of these things comes to a conclu- uh, summary for or because for the Lord is good, right? And this speaks to God's general attribute and the character of his goodness. It's the character by which God showers his goodness on all of his creatures, that he is good in his common grace where the sun shines, uh, uh, where the sun shines and, and he brings rain on the just and the unjust, and um, and I can tell you, friends, brothers, and sisters, that uh, sometimes you know I feel like um, such a failure uh, that uh, that it's I feel like sometimes I'm not worthy. To, I feel not worthy to stand in God's presence. Um, and and yet his in his goodness to me. I know that he loves me. And so I can stand in his presence, not based on my goodness, but on his goodness towards me. And, um, and that's worth praising. Hasn't God been good to you? Hasn't he provided for all of your needs? Hasn't he given you food and shelter, family and friends who love you, gifts, uh, to find work and to pay the bills, a roof over your head, clothes on your back, food on the table, uh, a wife, a friend, uh, children, grandchildren, a community, neighbors, whatever good in your life, hasn't God given them to you? And, and, and even more than that, didn't he 
he, didn't he not spare his one and only son that he would give you all, all good things? Um, God is good, and therefore he is worthy of your praise. And he has determined to bless his people in spite of their sins by his grace and mercy. And this is the Old Testament idea of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. It's a love that will not let you go, even though you have sinned and fallen short of his glory, even though you have forfeited his love, yet he loves us anyway. And it's this covenant love where God promises to bind himself to us, even when we have broken our part of the relationship with him. It is a love that is so gracious, so full and free that nothing can break that love and therefore it endures forever and extends to all generations. It's the steadfast love of God that was promised uh, ages ago uh, to Adam and Eve when they fell into sin, who through her seed, through the seed of the woman, would crush the seed of the serpent. The promised son of Abraham, to whom would make him the father of many nations, through whom then would bless all the nations of the earth. The promised son of David, who would reign over forever on his throne, uh, a promise that he will never leave us nor forsake us, but he will always be with us to the very end of the age. That he is the God who promised to be our God and we would be his people with an unbreakable oath and covenant so that neither, as, G, as Paul says, neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else and all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's worth, that's worth praising. Don't you think? Um, that's worth singing. Uh, that's worth sharing. Uh, that's worth living in light of the reality of that. Uh, imagine how radically uh, revolutionary it would be in your life to know that there's nothing you can do to, to separate. Uh, there's nothing that you could do where God would not love you. And that doesn't mean that you, you go on and you just keep going on sinning. But what it means is, it, is out of that understanding of God's love for you that you can then turn and repent and walk away from the sin because God loves you. And this is the heart of why we praise God, why we are able to do it for all eternity because God wants us to glorify and to enjoy him forever. See, he, he saved us. He redeemed us uh, so that we would praise him. And not just for a little while, not as long as we walk the earth, not as long as we're alive. He wants us to praise him forever. And so eternity starts today. So when we sing, when we gather, when we worship, it is a foretaste of what we're going to do for all eternity. And all of it is because Jesus died and rose again. Uh, that, uh, that he gives us eternal life so that we, we might worship him, to praise him for all that he's done uh, forever and ever. And so let's keep on 
refining and practicing and praising him for that day when Jesus shall return and we'll do it forever and ever and it won't be boring. <laughs> it's going, I, I feel like to, to praise God for who he is, it will take us an eternity to plumb the depths of his worthiness and of his love and his glory toward us in Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can enter into your courts uh, with praise, with thanksgiving, for you are good and your steadfast love endures forever, your faithfulness to all generations. Help us then to worship you. Lord, thank you for this psalm that teaches us uh, what that means and what that looks like. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.